Hello and welcome to the Spoke to Be podcast episode 50. That's right, we have made it halfway to 150 episodes down. I uh, just wanted to quickly thank all of you if you've tuned in for any or all of the episodes so far. Um, I do it for you guys. So with that being said, episode 50, let's get right to it. Got a lot to get to after the uh, two-week layoff here. Free agency uh, was last Monday, July 1st, and it it, it was something. It uh, went by in a flash pretty much. Uh, sign-ins were coming in left and right. We even had an offer sheet, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, but this is a Bruins podcast, so let's start with some of the Bruins moves. Um, first move that they made was actually one that I don't think a lot of people saw coming, me included. Um, I certainly didn't think that this move would be on the docket this summer. Uh, it wasn't even a move involving a, a current restricted or unrestricted free agent, um, but it involved the player who would reach restricted free agency next offseason. No, it wasn't Matt Grizzlick. No, it wasn't Jake DeBrusque. Uh, the Bruins signed, or I should say extended, Connor Clifton's contract. Uh, three-year deal worth $3 million, so a nice little $1 million cap hit. Um, Clifton's got a year left on his current deal this season that'll pay him 725000 so he'll get a nice little... Uh, bump up from that starting next season, 2020. Um, and for the Bruins, this is, a, I think, a really good move. Clifton showed a lot in the in the regular season and a, certainly in the playoffs. Um, I really like his game, and I think him and Grizzlick are most likely going to be your uh, third pair, at least to start next season, with John Moore and Kevin Miller both facing some uh, lengthy rehabs from their injuries. So good chance that those two make up your third pair to start the year. And good chance that those two are maybe your third pair for the foreseeable future. And to have Clifton locked in here for the next four years, um, $1 million a year starting uh, starting next season is real good business. I mean, just kind of compare that. Kevin Miller, your sort of uh, your third pairing right shot defenseman the past few seasons, has been making two and a half million dollars. So you get uh, a little extra, you know, cap relief at that position. And Miller is a free agent at the end of this upcoming season. So next July one, he'll be a free agent, and it certainly wouldn't shock me um, if. The Bruins move Miller at some point, either this offseason, later on, towards September, maybe even October, or hang on to him for a little bit uh, early on in the season. I mean, injuries happen, especially on defense. The Bruins know that too well, so he's still got a use for this team, but I think Clifton really showed that uh, he... He belongs in this league. He made good strides last season. He's still, I think, 24 years old, so he's got plenty more room to grow. Um, and so I thought a good move uh, for the Bruins to to re-up him. Certainly, I think, unexpected, but a solid move nonetheless. As for some of the new guys that the Bruins brought in, um, 
Similar to last offseason, when they signed Halak and Moore and Joachim Nordstrom uh, and Chris Wagner, the Bruins went the depth route again this offseason. Um, they signed a couple of players in Pear Lindholm and Brett Ritchie, who project to be most likely bottom six guys, probably fourth line guys, in all honesty. Um, but Ritchie's a bit of an interesting player. Um, scored 16 goals a couple seasons ago. He's got good size. I think he's like 6'3", um, 215. And he's a right shot winger. So that's a, that's a rarity in the Bruins system. Now, is he that top six winger that the Bruins uh, were looking to bring in? No, probably not. Um, it looks like they're going to have to solve that problem from within again. But Richie gives you a few options. I'm sure he'll get some looks uh, in camp with probably both of the top two lines, but especially next to Krejci. Um, I think more likely he kind of projects as maybe a third-line guy uh, on the right side, maybe Heinen, Coyle, and Richie is a third-line, possibly. I don't know. We'll see. Um, Lindholm, uh, I think Lindholm's actually a pretty good player. Played for Toronto last season and then uh, also a little bit with Winnipeg. Um, He's a left shot. He's a center who can also play the wing. Um, I think he's sort of, and Don Sweeney mentioned it in his press conference uh, wrapping up free agency, I think Lindholm is, is actually pretty similar to Joachim Nordstrom. Uh, got good speed. He's got some skill. He didn't score a lot last season. He had one goal, I believe, um, in like 60 games or something. But he he came over from the professional league over the, in Sweden, and I think um, like he put up some good numbers in Sweden. Uh, he was, it seems like, uh, adjusting to the NHL last season, so you hope that with a, a full year under his belt of NHL experience that that leads to some more offense because uh, he'll. I think he'll be a, a solid bottom six contributor. There's a couple different uh, spots that I could see him sliding into if the Bruins decide to move uh, Charlie Coyle to the wing to play in the top six, then that means that they got to bump up a center to play on that third line. Sean Corrali would probably be the most likely option there. Then they could slide Lindholm into the vacant fourth line center role uh, between Nordstrom and Wagner. He could also just be sort of your 13th um, spare forward, Um, a guy who can you know, play on the fourth line, play on the third line, potentially contribute higher up if need be. Uh, he kills penalties, and he takes faceoffs, which the Bruins, outside of Corrali, don't really have a left shot um, faceoff guy for penalty kills. So that was like a specific area that it seems like they targeted, and uh, Lindholm fits the bill there. So a couple of guys, Lindholm, a two-year deal worth 850000 uh a year, Brett Ritchie, a one-year, $1 million deal. So some fairly straightforward short-term deals. Um, And again, you know, just sort of more depth for the Bruins. You saw how important it was uh, throughout the year last season. Um, And so it seems like they're sort of going that route again this year. Adding on to that depth, they signed a third goalie, um, an an NHL-slash-AHL kind of guy, Maxime Legacy from Vegas. He will 
push the young guys down in Providence, and if anything happens to Rask or Halak up in Boston, he will um, be able to fill in as a backup up here. Signed him, him to a one-year $700,000 deal. They also signed Brendan Gonche, uh, former first-round pick of the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, he's a center. He signed a one-year $700,000 deal again. Um, so he's more of an AHL guy. So overall, the the free agency, I mean, you knew the Bruins were going to be restricted in what they did. Um, they had 13 or so million dollars heading into free agency um, in terms of cap space, and they spent about $3 million of that. They've got $10.2 million remaining in cap space, which seems like a nice amount, but then you remember that there's still three very big, unsigned, uh, restricted free agents left in Danton Heinen, Charlie McAvoy, and Brandon Carlos. So that is sort of on the... That's the to-do list for the rest of the summer. Um, they need to... They need to sign those three. I, Don Sweeney said in his press conference um, that he doesn't expect having an issue with those three. Dan Heinen has filed for arbitration, so uh, the Bruins will submit what they think Heinen should be paid this year. Heinen will submit what he thinks he should be paid. A neutral arbitrator will uh, pick one side. I would imagine the Bruins are probably putting a number in around two million. Heinen's probably putting in a number around three million. Um, you hope for the just for cap space sake that the arbiter um, sides with the Bruins, but we'll see. And then whatever he des- whatever they decide um, the number is, then you sign him to a one or two year deal. In all likelihood, unless it's an absurd number and the Bruins just don't think it's worth it but I don't see that happening so then you got to focus on your two defensemen neither of them are eligible for arbitration so you have to work out deals with those two um and so you got to figure you'll have probably a little under eight million dollars to get uh those two deals done which it just doesn't seem like enough I know Sweeney said that he doesn't anticipate a problem even with the 10 million in cap space but I mean Carlo could make close to four, four and a half million. McAvoy could make close to seven million. Um, so it's uh, it'll be interesting to see what move is left because yeah, there's some ways to sort of get around this during the off season. You can exceed the upper limit by ten percent. Um, you can place some guys on. Long-term injured reserve, which um, would wipe their salaries off the book for the time being, but uh, and the two most likely candidates for that would be John Moore and Kevin Miller. That would free up about uh, what, right around five and a half or so million dollars in cap space. Um, but at some point, those guys are going to be ready to play, and when they do, you got to take them off injured reserve, and then their their uh, cap hit counts against the cap again so at some point the Bruins are going to have to make a move obviously the most likely one or yeah most likely and the one that should be made involves David Backus um I mean I I just think that they have to find a way somehow to get that contract off the books um 
whether it means giving up a first round pick to a team um, to eat some of that money. You know, the problem with Bacchus is he's got six million left, but for two years. Um, you know, it'd be one thing if this was the end, if this was the last year of his deal. It's not. He has a couple more years left. Um, so that's a big ask for a team. Now, there are teams that. that have to get uh, to the cap floor. Ottawa is a team that comes to mind. Um, And so maybe there's a fit there. Um, You know, he could go and mentor some of those young players on that team. Uh, And also, I mean, he could play. Right now, I just don't see... If you sort of project out an opening night roster for the Bruins as of right now, I don't see David Backus as part of that team, and he may not even be um, part of the Boston Bruins, honestly. They may, I think there's a real chance that if they don't move him this summer at some point, that they will uh, send him down to Providence. He His uh, no-movement clause has expired, so he can get sent down now, and that would save a little bit of money against the cap, and, I mean, that might be the most likely outcome if uh, they don't decide to um, trade him. So it'll, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to to see kind of what happens because um, they got to obviously get McAvoy and Carlo. And you're also at a point where it doesn't seem like it's going to happen, but there is that possibility that maybe a team offer sheets Carlo um, you know, maybe they overpay for him thinking that he'll develop into something even greater and knowing that it will put the Bruins in a really tough spot. I mean, what would the Bruins do if a team came and offered Carlo, let's say five, five and a half million dollars a year over just call it, you know, five years, maybe what if a team comes with like a five year, $28 million deal or something like that, and they got to pay him over five million a year. I mean, that's a that would put the Bruins in a really tough spot. Um, McAvoy's not eligible for an offer sheet, so don't have to worry about that with him. But Carlo is, and I doubt it will happen. It's very very unlikely, but I guess you know, wait and see. There, just fingers crossed that no one goes out of their minds and tries to snag him from us. But if if teams really used offer sheets and used them effectively, Carlo would be a player that would get offer sheeted because of the cap situation the Bruins are in, because of the fact they still have to... I mean, their main priority is McAvoy, obviously, and because of the fact that Carlo is a good player and he's only, what, 22? He's only going to get better? Um, You know, he is a guy who, yeah, he hasn't put up the offensive numbers yet, but if you have watched him closely... I think especially in the playoffs, that offensive game started to round into shape. His defense was tremendous all playoffs long, going up against some of the best players in the world. Um, so that, if you were you know another team looking for a top four uh, right shot defenseman, why not? And, and you got some cap room. Carlo would be a player that you target. Um, you know, it's a little bit of a tangent on offer sheets, but. Just saying, they have a little over ten million in cap space. They've got three players they got to sign. 
they're probably not going to be able to sign them for the 10.2 million that they have in cap space. So something's got to happen. Um, I know this seems, you know, we've sort of entered what seems to be for the most part, the sort of dead point um, on the NHL calendar here over the next couple of months before training camp starts up again in uh, mid-September. But certainly for the Bruins, the Heinen news will come in at some point, I would imagine later this month. And, uh, those deals for McAvoy or Carlo could happen at any minute. So um, keep you posted on all that. But um, that is sort of the the rundown of the Bruins' moves over the past couple of weeks or so. So, I mean, all in all, I guess it's just another sort of uh, similar to last off season. Focus on depth. Um, keep the cap flexibility. Hope that you're... Uh, young internal forward candidates will get the job done, at least one of them, um, and move on from there. So we're going to take a spin around the league now, look at some of the big moves that went down there. We'll uh, start in the Atlantic Division, uh, starting with Buffalo, who made a few moves um, over the past couple weeks. The most recent one, and one that relates directly to the Bruins is the Sabres signed Marcus Johansson f- uh, on a two-year deal worth $4.5 million a year. If you had told me immediately after the playoffs that Marcus Johansson was A, going to sign a two-year deal, and B, going to make less money annually than he did on his last contract, I would have said you're crazy. Uh, but that's what... Turned out to be the case. Uh, two years, four point five million. He was making, I think, four point seven five on his last deal. So somehow the Sabers got Johansson at what seems to be a discount. Um, I think that's a really good move for Buffalo. Now here's the thing. Johansson excelled in that on on that third line with Coyle in the playoffs. No doubt about it. Did he excel because of the competition he was playing against, or did he excel because he's just a really good player um, who stayed healthy and proved to everyone the the skill set that he has? It's probably a little bit of both. Um, and so now he's, in. I would imagine, going to play a top six role in Buffalo. Let's kind of see how it shakes out over the course of the year because he was at times in Washington playing a top six role and he um, he struggled in it and then uh, went to New Jersey, kind of flew under the radar a little bit there and had some success down there. Then he comes to Boston and he starts in a top six role, obviously gets hurt, and then Cassidy's scrambling to figure out what line to put him on, finally settles on the third line with Coyle and they were terrific during the postseason. Um, but definitely a good move for Buffalo, um, get some more skill in that top six. So it'll be, uh, you know, very interesting to see how, how that plays out because if he plays the way he did in the playoffs, then Buffalo is going to get a really, really talented player at a really good deal. So, um, you know, it's, it stinks. It really stinks that the Bruins have that Bacchus contract on their hands because if they didn't, they could have absolutely re-signed Johansson. Um, you know, and it's a shame that he left, but 
he gave the Bruins everything he had. Uh, and so good for him for getting a nice little contract in Buffalo. Buffalo also uh, traded for former Bruin Colin Miller from Vegas to add to their back line, which I think is a good move for them. And they also traded for uh, Jimmy Vesey as well. So um, Sabres making some moves. Uh, you know, they, they started out so well last season. And then they just kind of tailed off there in the second half of the year. Be interesting to see if they're able to put it all together this season for a full season. Um, new head coach, get some new guys in there. So they could definitely be a dangerous team. Speaking of dangerous teams in the Atlantic, Florida Panthers. Um, they were very busy on the opening day of free agency, signing four players, Brett Connolly, Noel Achari, Anton Strahlman, and the big one, Sergei Bobrovsky. Um, I think a lot of people thought that Bobrovsky and Artemi Panarin were destined for Florida together. Uh, that proved not to be the case, but... Florida did solve its biggest issue, which was goaltending last season, with Bobrovsky. Now, the contract, seven years, $70 million, $10 million a year. It's a lot. And yes, Bobrovsky had a really strong end of the season and playoffs, But and yes, he has a couple Vesnas, but he is a streaky goalie, and he's a guy that blows hot and cold. Um... And is definitely a guy where you could see in a couple years if he's struggled a little bit and you're paying your goalie $10 million and he's not living up to that, that could be an issue. Now, I mean, look, Florida had to do it for the most, you know, they they wanted him. I think he wanted to play there. Um, you know, new coach Joel Quenville needed a goalie with Luongo retiring. Um, so they went out and they got the best one on the market. Um and it'll just be, I mean, he he's certainly not worth $10 million, but because of the lack of quality options on the goalie market and the, the high need that Florida had for that, they had to overpay for him, and in the end, they got him. So, you know what, if he helps them get to the playoffs, then no one's really going to care that much. Um, as for their other moves, Brett Connolly, I, I really like that move. I would have liked the Bruins to make a run at him if they had the cap space. I think he would w- would have been a great fit on that third line with Charlie Coyle, but um, he'll be he'll add into that talented forward crew that they got in Florida. Nolachari um, moves on from the Bruins, signs a three-year, $5 million deal with Florida, and good for him. Um, you know, he, uh, he deserves a nice little raise. I mean, he was making like... I think 800000 the past couple seasons or something. So good to see him make some extra money. You know, he's a, he's a tough guy to play against. He'll, he'll be a pain in the Bruins' side when they go up against him. Um, but he's, he's the sort of player that you win with, and it wouldn't shock me if Florida's back in the playoffs next year and, he's got a, and he plays a big role in that. Uh, and then Anton Strahlman used to play for Tampa, now heads over, plays for Florida. Um Three years, five and a half million per year. Ooh, that's not a great deal, I don't think. He's, I think, 35 years old. He's kind of slowing down. Not the same player that he was even just a few seasons ago for Tampa. So, um, I mean, I, I guess they needed to add a little bit to their back end, but 
I don't know, that could be another dragger of a deal in a couple years. Uh, let's see, Montreal. Really the biggest thing the Montreal did, um, and I mean probably the thing that generated the most news in the NHL over the past week or so was their offer sheet um, for Sebastian Ajo, which he did sign uh, and was prepared to become a Montreal Canadian. The issue, so the offer sheet was, I think, five years, like roughly eight and a half million per year. Um, and it seemed a little low for Ajo, a player who definitely could have gotten at least probably nine, nine and a half million, uh, given, you know, just his age and, uh, his skill set and all that. So I think if you're Carolina, you're very happy that Montreal negotiated the contract with Ajo for you because it saves you from having to, um, you know, dig in with him all summer and potentially turn things uh, negative. Now, is it weird that he technically signed for another team and then, but now he's going back to Carolina? Maybe, but I mean, at the end of the day, um, I think that stuff kind of gets forgotten. And so um, I think that's a win for Carolina. Now, Montreal crafted the contract the way they did because of um, what they perceived to be Carolina's weakness, which is their owner uh, and his cheap uh, cheapness, I guess you would call it. Um, you know, he likes to keep costs low. And so Montreal front loaded the contract by making $21 million, uh, due in like the very first year. So he had a big, he would have had a big signing bonus or well, he did because they matched the exact contract. So he has a big signing bonus, um, July one of this year. Then he gets paid, I think like $7 million this year, and then he has another big signing bonus on July 1 of next year. So it was like $21 million over the first year of the deal. Um, and uh, they Montreal thought that that might be able to cause some um, you know, issues for Carolina, but in the end, Carolina matched it, and so he will be going back there. But uh, it was fun to see, honestly. I mean... You know, the offer sheet is rare in uh, hockey, and it's a shame because, especially nowadays, there's just so many good young players who are restricted free agents, and they're, the only way for them to move teams is to sign offer sheets. Um, that's really the only leverage they have for the most part. So um, it'll uh, it'll be, I mean, I, I want to see more they're they're exciting you know they get fan bases turning against each other um and there are some prime candidates for offer sheets like i was saying you know a guy like brandon carlo that's sort of the player where if the offer sheet was actually a thing and i know i've done this before and i don't like doing it but i think it kind of works here you see it in football um you know there's restricted free agents in football and you sign them to i think technically offer you sign them to contracts and you have to give up draft pick compensation and the patriots have utilized it in the past um mike gillisley was a restricted free agent i believe chris hogan was a restricted free agent um they got both of those guys and all they had to give up was you know a a mid-round draft pick or something and 
they would structure contracts in a way that would make Buffalo um, not able to match it. And that's kind of what Montreal was trying to do with Carolina. And that's what I think more teams should try and do. Target players who um, are maybe middle of the pack. You don't always go after the biggest guys because they're going to get the big contracts anyways, whether it's from your team or the team that they're playing for. If you target those sort of middle of the pack guys and you maybe overpay them just a bit, but with the you know idea being that the other team is up against the cap, so it would be almost impossible for them to match it. And even if they did, then they have essentially no money left. Uh, so that is sort of how the offer sheet should work in theory. Now, it doesn't, of course, because general managers, for whatever reason, are afraid to use it. I don't know if they don't want to upset other GMs and teams or what it is, but they just don't really use them. The last one was Ryan O'Reilly got si- signed an offer sheet. Um, I think with he signed it with Calgary when he was playing for Colorado, but Colorado matched it. The one that I remember the most, because it was just so insane, was the uh, Shea Weber one. Philly signed him to an offer sheet. It's like 13 years, 104 million or something like that. And Nashville ended up matching that. Um, one thing that I do find interesting, both those cases, yes, the teams that they were playing for ended up matching the offer sheets, but both those players got traded um, within a couple of seasons after um, the offer sheet. So not saying that's going to happen with Aho, but maybe it does make general managers and owners a little mad that you did sign a contract with another team. Um, again, not that that will happen with Aho, but let's just check back in in a, a few years and see if he's still a hurricane. Um, so that was Montreal. Toronto, speaking of restricted free agents, we'll get to him in a second. Toronto signed Jason Spezza uh, as a probably third, fourth line center. Um, they made a big trade on towards the end of July 1st. Uh, they traded Nazem Kadri and a couple other, uh, another player and a draft pick to Colorado for Alex Kerfoot and Tyson Barry. Barry being the big uh, return for Toronto, a, a top four right shot defenseman that they've been searching for. They finally got him. Um, so he, I think Barry's going to fit in pretty well with Toronto. Honestly, he's not the greatest defender, but he moves the puck really well. He'll fit right into that system that they run up there. Um, Kadri's a bit of a loss, but when you've got John Tavares and Austin Matthews as your first and second centers, you can afford to ship out Kadri in order to get Barry. Um, from a Colorado perspective, I think it's a great move for Colorado as well. Um, they get Nazem Kadri. He becomes a, a solid second-line center out there behind Nathan McKinnon. Um, they were deep on defense, so Barry would have been a free agent um, next season, at the end of next season. So they move him a year before his contract expires. They get back a, a solid player at a position of need. Hmm. Funny how that works. You trade from a position of depth in order to get back a player who fits a position of need. I wonder if there's a team out there that has some really good young defensemen, also has a defenseman who's going to be a free agent next season, 
that maybe they could move because he's going to sign a big contract. And also a team that is lacking in a certain area critical to the success of the team. Nah, I can't think of a team that fits that bill. Um, So a good trade for, I think, both sides. And then finally with Toronto, and the thing that's just been kind of hanging over them seemingly all year, um, and especially these past few weeks, is the situation with Mitch Marner. Um, you know, is there's been some some speculation that a team's preparing to offer Sheet Marner. Um, I think the, the team out there that's floating around is the Islanders, which would just be incredible. You know, the, the Maple Leafs, take the Islanders captain from them last year. Imagine if the Islanders took Toronto's arguably best player the next year. I mean, that would just be tremendous. Um, I've said it a bunch on this podcast. I think Marner is a terrific player. I think he'll be worth whatever contract he signs next. I, I really do. I know some crazy numbers are being thrown out there, but if he signed like a $10, $11 million a year deal, I would be totally fine with that. I think he's worth it. He is so good. Um, and so I want nothing more than for him to leave Toronto. Um, do I think that's going to happen? Uh, probably not. But I do think the longer this goes on, I mean, look, even with all these moves that Toronto's made, and they've made a bunch, they've had a bunch of trades made, they've let guys go, they've brought in a couple of cheaper, older guys, they still have work to do to get Marner um, on that team. I think they have like $7 million in cap space. I mean, that's not enough. You know, Marner's going to be looking for at least $9 million minimum. Um, so, you know, I would love to see an offer sheet with him. Um, whatever team does it, I hope they blow him out of the water, though, because otherwise... I get the feeling Toronto will match almost any offer sheet. Um, but then again, Kyle Dubas, their general manager, has said that he would uh, he would have no problem, um, you know, if the contract was just too insane. He'd have no problem just taking the compensation for first-round draft picks and moving on. We'll see. We'll see how that plays out. Um, all right, shooting around the rest of the Eastern Conference, the New Jersey Devils. Um I think have greatly improved themselves. Obviously, they drafted Jack Hughes first overall. They signed Wayne Simmons to a one-year deal, uh, and they traded for P.K. Subban. So some very strong moves for the Devils. Um, the Rangers also with, I think they they might have had the best offseason so far. Um, the biggest ticket on the free agent market, Artemi Panarin, signed with the Rangers seven years, $11.5 million a year. Um so they got him. They got Greg McKegg, who, if you remember, he played for Carolina last season. He actually scored, I believe, a goal in game one against the Bruins in the Eastern Conference Final. I thought he was actually a really uh, good player for Carolina in that series. Bottom six center, probably a fourth line center, but with some good speed and skills. So a nice little depth signing there. They made a couple of trades. They traded for Adam Fox. This was a. Uh, this actually happened. A little while ago, um, he was a Carolina draft pick. Carolina wasn't—he didn't want to play for Carolina. wasn't going to sign there, so they—he said, uh, you know, trade me. 
And uh, they did ended up trading him to New York. And then New York also traded for Jacob Truba from uh, Winnipeg. So they've added some skill to their defense. And of course, they drafted with the number two pick, Capo Caco. So they got three new forwards, two new defensemen. I think they've got um, a good shot at the playoffs next season. Um, they've got some skill there. Maybe they're still a player or two away, maybe a year or two away, but they're certainly trending in the right direction. Um, and with uh, Quinn, um, what's his first name? Peter, I think. I might be butchering that, but the guy that used to coach it, David, David Quinn, uh, who used to coach at BU, behind the bench there, you know, they're, uh, they're hoping that he'll help turn some things around. Um, so they've, you know, in a metropolitan division that may not be as strong as it's been in past years, you know, maybe they've got a, uh, a shot, um, to, to potentially grab a top three spot in that, uh, division. Philadelphia signed Kevin Hayes. That happened a little while ago. Pittsburgh traded Phil Kessel for Alex Galchenyuk. Um, that was not unexpected, but, you know, getting rid of Kessel, he's a guy that, I mean, no matter what people say about him, he scores goals. Uh, and so, but Pittsburgh needed to make a move. They did. They got Galchenyuk uh, for Kessel. They also signed Brandon Tanov, who I like. Uh, I think he's a good player. I think he is a really good third-line player. Um, if the Bruins had the cap space, what I wanted them to do was sign Tanev and a right-winger, um, somebody like a Brett Connolly-type player. Make that your third line with Charlie Coyle and then just bump up Danton Heinen to the top line. But, of course, they don't have the cap space. Um, now, I said I like Brandon Tanev. Brandon Tanev signed a six-year contract worth three and a half million a season. I don't like Brandon Tanev that much. Six years is insane for a guy who's 27. He's a career bottom six player. He's a good player. He's a solid player. He helps your team, but God, six years. Oof. Jim Rutherford loves handing out insane deals um, in Pittsburgh. So that was quite shocking. And then in the West, um, let's see. Chicago traded for a couple of defensemen. They also brought back An Andrew Shaw. Colorado obviously had that trade with Toronto. They also signed uh, Jonas Donskoy. And they traded for Andre Burakovsky. Dallas, um, I really like the moves Dallas made. They signed Joe Pavelski, the former San Jose Sharks captain, and also Corey Perry. Um, I really like those moves. I think Dallas... Uh, with the defense that they've got there, now signing Pavelski and Perry to add to Sagan and Ben and Radulov. Um, I really like where Dallas is going. They got Bishop and Nett. They're going to be a good team next season for sure. Minnesota signed uh, Matt Zuccarello, a player that I really like. Might have been a bit too big of a deal, six years, $30 million. Um, But, you know, they had to do something. They want to get back to the playoffs, and so... They bring in Zuccarello, uh, and Vancouver traded for JT Miller from Tampa. Um, Tampa needed to clear some cap space to sign their own restricted free agent, Braden Point. 
And Vancouver also signed Tyler Myers, the big uh, defenseman uh, who was used to be in Buffalo, was playing for Winnipeg recently. Uh, six years, $30 million contract on... Or five years, I think. $30 million contract. So um, those are the moves made around the league. Um, like I said, I think... If we're doing off-season winners, uh, I think in the East, I think the Rangers got a lot better. Uh, I know West, I really like what Dallas did and what they're building out there. Um, I mean, I also like what Colorado did. Like I said, I think Nazem Kadri will be good for them. And Donskoy and Burakovsky are good players to add to that forward group as well. So uh, they... um, I think those two teams, that central division should be a, a good one between, obviously, you know, Nashville. Oh, Nashville um, signed Matt, Matt Duchesne. Uh, that was the big one out there. So between Nashville and Winnipeg, the two teams have sort of been there the past few seasons. Obviously, you got the Stanley Cup champion Blues in that division. Now you got Colorado, who I think is going to be a trendy pick to reach the West, at least the Western Conference final. Uh, next season, you got Dallas, who was a bounce of the puck away from going to the Western Conference Final this year, um, and then you've got Chicago also in there, uh, looking to get back into the playoffs um, for the first time in a few seasons. So, and then Min- Minnesota, I mean, they're in there too. That is a the Atlantic Division has the most high end talent. I think three of the top five teams in the entire NHL. Uh, Boston, Tampa, and Toronto are all in the Atlantic Division, but I think top to bottom, the Central Division is the toughest. Um, I mean, all those teams are good, and so, um, I mean, the the four that made the biggest moves, Chicago, Colorado, Dallas, Minnesota, those aren't even the top three teams. You got the Stanley Cup champion Blues, and then you got Winnipeg and Nashville, so that is a stacked division. Um and so that, that'll be fun to watch next season. But yeah, so I'd say the Rangers and the Stars. I really liked their moves. Um, Bruins, I liked what they did. Um, I mean, I'm not like jumping for joy and doing cartwheels over here. But you know what? I think Don Sweeney deserves a little bit of credit. He is general manager of the year. Let's, you know, trust him. He he made similar moves last offseason. People were saying, oh, who's John Moore? Who's Joachim Nordstrom? Who's Chris Wagner? Well, they all turned out to be you know, pretty uh, important pieces to the puzzle. So let's give the team some time. Let's see if there are any other moves to come. Obviously, the restricted free agents will be signed here at some point. Uh, maybe there's a trade or two down the pipeline. But I think more or less, you know, just outside of the the contracts for the for McAvoy, Heinen, and Carlo. Um, and I think this is the Bruins team for next season. Um, and so... We'll get into that more uh, throughout the summer. We got the rest of the summer to to talk about, you know, lineups and rosters and all that stuff, player projections. So um, we'll do that um, later on. As for how we're going to do it the rest of the summer, uh, it's definitely not going to be a weekly podcast. There's just not enough to talk about. Um, you know, those, those NHL front office guys, they love getting all their business done on July 1st and then heading to their their cottages uh, for the rest of the summer. So, um, you know, usually not a lot of news to talk about. Stuff will trickle in, obviously, with the 
restricted free agents the Bruins have. Still some big uh, big things to do there. But um, I don't have a firm idea of what I'm going to do yet. I, I think it'll be more of a as news rolls in, um, we'll kind of record some stuff. My guess is that the next podcast is uh, probably in a couple weeks, I would say. Um, hopefully something's, if nothing's happened by then, then there's a good chance it'll get pushed back even further. Um, but I would ideally like to do at least one more podcast here in July. Um, and then, uh, figure things out from there. I'll have one or two blogs going up this week, uh, looking at the moves that the Boons made a little more and, uh, you know, what to maybe expect next season out of some players, some key lineup decisions so um stay tuned for that but i mean with that said with free agency being essentially over um it kind of puts the wraps on the uh, 2018-19 season so uh you know thanks again with this being episode 50 for following along it was a lot of fun first year kind of getting the hang of things covering this team um you know enjoyed it obviously it was a successful year came up just short in the very end, but uh, a lot of fun along the way. And so appreciate that. And uh, yeah, that about wraps up episode 50. Uh, should be back in a couple weeks. Just keep it posted online, on the blog, on Twitter uh, for any updates. And we'll talk to you next time. Go Bruins!
Take your dear, bring your sister over here Let her dance with me just for the hell of it 